in chapter 2. It is good to see you this morning. We are walking through a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And as we look at these churches, they show us really three things. There are three questions that are answered. One of those questions is, what do we learn about the church? What, what do we learn about these specific churches and their specific situations and their specific needs? What their problems were, what were not their problems. We learn lots about these churches. And then we see, well, what do these churches say about Jesus? Which is really the question that we should all ask ourselves over and over and over. What do I say about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? What do the lives of believers uh, to the ends of the earth say about Jesus? What are we saying about Jesus? And the final question that's answered by all of these churches is, well, what does it say to us? What is Jesus saying to us? We look at the church of Smyrna today and Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write this, The word of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. And, and I know your poverty. But, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. But are from the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We take the Bible seriously. And because of that, I would just invite you to bow your heads even now. And for us to ask God to speak to us. Because if God does not say something from His Word, it doesn't matter what I say. And let's pray that God will do those three things. He'll teach us about these churches, number one. That he will show us Jesus in the text. That we will see clearly the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And finally we'll see what Jesus is saying to us from this text. Could you just bow your heads with me? And I would just invite you to think about the person who's sitting next to you or beside you. And even pray as, you pray, as we pray together to pray for them specifically. So that we would know that those who are around us are prayed for. Hearing about this church. Seeing what it says about Jesus and seeing what it says to us. Jesus, you are good. And even now, as we open your word, we pray that you would reveal yourself in a way that we did not expect. God, there are some of us who are here because this is what we are expected to do on Sunday mornings. But God, there are some of us who are here that we need. We, we, we need this. Because all of us need this. All of us need to... to see your word and to see it to see it clearly state who you are Lord we trust you and we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus everyone says seasonally we've moved from summertime to what we call the fall we in Lake Jackson know that it's fall because it's 88 degrees instead of 97. 
and the humidity is only 96%. So, as we make this transition, we've also noticed that CVS is selling us Halloween candy, and shortly they will stop selling Halloween candy to us, and they're going to start selling us Christmas things. As a matter of fact, most pharmacies are already selling Christmas things in a back corner somewhere. Wrapping paper, and even the old Christmas stuff from last year. So as we moved from throughout the fall to the Christmas season, we began to think about what it means to gather together with our families. And I don't know your families very well yet, but I know that different people do Christmas in different ways. So just so I can get to know my room a little bit, how many of you guys are a family that gathers together and you open the gifts on Christmas Eve. If you're one of those families, could you raise your hand? Anybody open gifts on Christmas Eve? Okay, the rest of us are right. and We, we open our gifts on, on Christmas morning. And we get together. And, and I don't know if your family does the, a big lunch. If you're the lunch meal people, raise your hand. If you're one of those families that gets together in pajamas and has your Christmas breakfast, could you raise your hand? Um, I need to make the point that my father-in-law let me know very early on that grown men are not supposed to wear pajamas in public, so I don't because I'm afraid of him. Uh, so we, we have Christmas, and, and then eventually there's going to be a point, I would imagine, uh, just getting to know you guys, where as you celebrate Christmas, you sit down together and someone reads the Christmas story. If your family reads the Christmas story, could you raise your hand? I'm not going to judge you if you don't in public. <laughs> So we get together to, to read the Christmas story, and I don't know who does that. I don't know who gets the Santa hat or, and, and hands out gifts, and I don't know who's the person who opens their Bible. But eventually, you will have a crazy Uncle Ned sit down with his Bible on his lap, and he'll begin to read the Christmas story. And as he reads the Christmas story, he'll be walking through the various points of it, and he's got his Bible open to King Jimmy English. And as he reads from this, everyone hears him. Moms are in the back. Kids are sitting close, wondering when they get to open their gifts. And when he gets to the point about the Savior who's been born, that is Christ the Lord, he takes a dramatic, drastic turn. He shuts his Bible, the family Bible, and he looks at the children, and he says to them, This story is about me. I mean, that goes bad quick, right? His wife turns red because he's gotten into the bad punch. His mother begins to swing her purse at him because little old ladies are free to hit you with whatever they want to. He has just made the entire story of Christmas about him. The Jewish people had a faith that was historical. And they knew that they were tied to Abraham from the very beginning. And then that because of their ties to Abraham, it took them to where they were. So you have the disciples who follow after Jesus. And we all know that they're good Jewish young to middle-aged men. So between the ages of 16 and some argue 40, which is still young. 
And Jesus sits down with them after he begins to tell them that he's going to die. And they take the Passover meal. And he breaks the bread and he hands it out. And they've done this time and time again every single year. Like your family reads the Christmas story every single year. And they know the rhythm and the routine. They know the patterns of it. But there comes a point when Jesus is handing out this bread that he turns it on a dime. And he said, the bread you've always been eating is about me. The cup you've always been drinking is about me. He's just turned the faith inside out. And I say all of that because when you get to Smyrna, that's one of the problems. Christianity is making a bold claim. And there's a synagogue in Smyrna for dedicated Jews, or at least they claim to be dedicated, and they want nothing to do with Christianity's claim. So Jesus has done something. He has divided them. What does he divide? If you're a note taker, divided is a great word to write down. Let me tell you who he's divided. He has divided the Jews. He's divided the Jews because the Christian faith is not a faith that was just an upstart. It was given birth to from the Jewish faith. Jesus took the story of of Judaism and he said, and I'm the fulfillment of all of this. So when Jesus is making his, himself known, and when the church is responding to him, there is intentional division there. Because everyone who was part of a synagogue is having to look at the Jewish people who are making allegiances with Christianity, and when they make these allegiances, they're separating themselves. We want nothing to do with that. We want nothing to... That's, that's that, and we're who we are. Not only did he, did he divide himself from, from Judaism, Jesus and the claims of the early church, they divided themselves from the Romans. Now, here's the thing. If you're in the Jewish synagogue at Smyrna, you, as a member of that synagogue, are given a very special privilege because the rest of Rome and the rest of Smyrna had to make this declaration, Caesar is Lord. And the entirety of Rome was wrapped, of Smyrna rather, was wrapped up in this idea of Caesar being Lord. They were what we would call a God and country town. They were Mayberry-ish. They prided themselves in Caesar worship. They, they would bow and worship the goddess Roma, which was the spirit of Rome. When you look at this area, they were the home of Homer, not Simpson, but the poet. And they were a town that was very well taken care of financially because though they were a harbor town, they had built very good protection against pirates. Side note, I did not know that Jack Sparrow was anywhere in the Bible. But Jesus here, when he looked at Rome and when the church looked at at Rome and, and their place in Smyrna, they see all of these things and they see... We're unlike the Jewish people because the Jewish people are given exemption, but we're not given exemption. Because the rest of Rome is saying that Caesar is Lord, and the rest of Smyrna especially is saying Caesar is Lord. And 
The Christians did not believe that Caesar was Lord. Because the Christians believe that Jesus is Lord. So much of the language of the Romans has made its presence known in Christianity. You can even see it as you read through the New Testament. The idea of the gospel, which is a word that we use a lot here at Grace Bible, and it's a word that's actually at the top of every one of the gospel stories. We've heard the word gospel before. It was intentionally and initially a word that was not used to talk about Christianity. It's a word that we have taken, that we've redeemed. But the word initially was used to talk about Caesar Augustus. It was used to talk about Rome. So there was a declaration that would go out into all of Rome. Smyrna included. Smyrna, the, the pinnacle of Roman Caesar worship. And it's the, the good news according to Caesar Augustus, the king of Rome. But the Jewish people, they were exempt from it. Yet these Christians, these early Christians, they weren't exempt. But they wouldn't say it. Because you can't have two allegiances. They could not say that the good news of Caesar was true because they believed the good news of Jesus to be. And they would never declare that Caesar was Lord because if you are declaring that Caesar is Lord, you are saying that Jesus is not. Divided. But Jesus speaks into that in verse 8. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, the words of the first and the last, which is jumping off the diving board of Smyrna's history. Because Alexander the Great had destroyed it once and it had been rebuilt. And it had been destroyed another time and it had been rebuilt. They wrapped themselves up as Smyrnians and as Romans in the idea that their city had been dead but had come back to life. And Jesus says, I'm better than that. Not only was I destroyed and rebuilt, I died and I'm back. That's really the dividing point for Christianity. That we believe that Jesus died and that he's resurrected. That we believe that the death of Jesus is where my sins and your sins die and the resurrection of Jesus is where I have life and where you have life. If you have an understanding of Christianity apart from that, it's a distorted one. The words of the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Jared alluded to this. And we've been singing songs all morning that bring these thorough thoughts to life for us. That we would declare that Jesus is Lord of all, that life comes because of him. These things, these songs that we sing, they're with the intent and purpose of us being united around this thought that Jesus is Lord. They're divided. We also see that, that these Christians are, are demonized. But not demonized in the way that we think that we should be demonized. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, there's a difference in us being having preferences that are not uh, given uh, energy to from organizations and us being persecuted. It is not the anywhere in the mission statement of Walmart to give you a Christ-centered shopping experience. But what we do know as believers, as we read through this text and see what God says to us here, is that this church, this early church, they have been viewed in a way where they are the villain. 
Chattanooga is where, where I initially called home. I called it home for 38 years. Moved here in uh, March of 2017, and I've loved being with you guys so far. There was a point in that time where I had uh, a radio station. They called our church, and they said that they were having a, a conference on... A, a, a little interaction, an interview with various religious leaders from our area. And they asked, I wasn't the pastor of the church, but the pastor said, no way, I'm going on the radio. And they kept bumping it down until it got to me. Why don't you go represent Christianity and all of Judeo-Christian thought? So I walk in, and there, here are the various people who are present. There's a priest, a Catholic priest. There's an imam, a Muslim. There's a, a rabbi who's there. There's some new age lady wearing chacos who did not shave her armpits. And then there was me. And all of us are sitting in this same room and they begin to ask questions to us about the Christian faith on the radio. But before that happened, when the rabbi walked in, he looked at me and he said, Oh, you're the bad guy. Good to see you too. And then they begin to ask us what we believe and why we believe it. And when they asked me what I believed and why I believed it, I said, I believe, we as Christians believe that everything that we are and everything that we are to be is based in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It shapes the way that we see eternity, but it also shapes the way that we treat our neighbors. It shapes the way that we care for those who are around us. It shapes the way that we see the ends of the earth. Because we believe that Jesus is Lord. I said it in no way as eloquently as I just did, which is sad. They didn't ask me another question the whole time. So, in a room where there were only two people who represented Christianity, to talk about Christmas, I was ignored. But I wasn't persecuted. This early church is persecuted. They're demonized. Let, let's, let's show how. Well, I, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich, Jesus says. Don't forget you're rich. And the slander of those who say they, they are Jews and are not, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. That is not kind of terminology. The devil's house. They were, they were demonized by the Jewish synagogue. Because the Jewish synagogue went against some of their historical teachings in the way they treated these who were outsiders of, of their faith, in their opinion. Let me give you some examples. Uh, in regards to communion, which we'll take today as a faith family. The Jews spread the rumor that Christians were cannibals because they were claiming to eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus. When they called it the agape feast or the, the love feast, that was a term used by Christians. The, the Jewish people who were part of the synagogue in Smyrna claimed that those Christians were participating in sexual immorality. And because Christianity would call some from Judaism to faith in Jesus, there was a claim made... Because they actually did split families, that some of the members of them became Christians and some did not. The Jews accused the Christians of breaking up homes and tampering with family relationships intentionally. 
But they weren't just demonized by the Jewish people. They were demonized by Rome. The, the, they accused the Romans, the, the Smyrnans, accused the Christians of atheism because they denied the existence of gods in Rome. They spread the rumor that Christians were trying to start a rebellion because they taught that the world would one day end in flames. They accused the believers of being politically disloyal because they would not utter those three words, Caesar is Lord. So thus far, we're looking at a situation that's very unlike ours. Yet when we begin to look at the undercurrent of everything, I would ask you this, how often by our practice do we say that Caesar is Lord? How often by our response to the scenarios and situations around us do we acquiesce and say that we believe that Caesar is Lord? We may claim Jesus in rooms where it is completely free for us to claim Jesus, where we are air-conditioned and where we have... uh, various rights as, as a non-profit, but how often in, when the rubber meets the road do we as those who follow after Jesus say that we believe that he's Lord? When push comes to shove, when, when we have to decide between right and wrong, are we declaring two truths? Because if you're declaring two truths that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is Lord, you're declaring neither. Jesus is Lord. The one who returned from death to life. The first and the last. Nick Ripkin, he wrote a book called The Insanity of God. It's, it's referenced today in, your, uh, in our Tuesdays Together. I would encourage you, if you're researching the, the persecuted church, which is what the church at Smyrna was, definitely, obviously persecuted. He said this about Christianity, and, and I, it, it stung To me, the most startling thing Jesus ever said was when he assigned his followers the task of going out in pairs to share his good news with lost people. Well, what's startling about that? Jesus said that he was sending them as sheep among wolves. Still, he expected them to win. Ripken asked, in the history of the world... No sheep has ever won a fight with a wolf. This idea is absolutely insane. Are we going out as sheep among wolves and choosing to declare that we believe that Jesus is Lord in the face of hardship? But on the other side of the coin, are we taking the opportunity that's been given us in our country to rightly proclaim that we believe that the hope of the world is Jesus when the opportunity arises? In word and deed, in action, and in what we ascribe. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, Jesus says. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. There's all types of theological discussion and I'm not sure as to the answer if we understand that literally. But I do know this, even when we don't take the Bible literally, we take it seriously. Jesus says to this church, you are about to go into a very serious situation, but you realize I'm for you. I've not left you. I've not walked walked away from you. And there are times where we need to hear that. We see the church was divided, that they divided themselves. 
We see that they were demonized. We see here that they're dedicated. Dedicated when push comes to shove, when, when we have to make hard decisions. They would say, even though I live in this world, this world is not my home. Smyrna was really strange. Because of all of their rules and all the regulations, the Jewish people, or the, the Christian people rather, whether they were Jewish descendants who had become Christians, or they were Christians who had came over from, from, from Rome and from Smyrna, here was their situation. If they were claiming that Jesus was Lord, they set themselves apart from all of Smyrna and all of Rome. And they couldn't get jobs. They couldn't get homes. They would be beaten, mistreated. Church family, I just want to encourage you to think through this. The story of Smyrna is not just a story that's 2,000 years old. Around our world right now, there are people who would love to sit in a room like this. Who would love to be able to assemble freely. But because they would declare what we have been able to declare so freely all morning, that Jesus is Lord. They are mistreated. Their lives are at risk. Their children are at risk. The freedom that we are given in Jesus is not free. It cost him his life. And right now there are so many who would claim this very claim that we do. They're at risk of even death because they, sing, they would sing lyrics that we had the audacity to sing this morning. That you may be tested. That you will have tribulation. It's not the first time in scripture we see someone who is thrown a, into a difficult place. Because of their confidence in Jesus. As a matter of fact, there was a guy named John the Baptist. He ate bugs, which is weird. And John the Baptist um, wore animal skin. And he was the one who was, as Scripture says, he prepared the way for Jesus. I am not the one who is to come, but I call upon the one who is coming. John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. And in the face of Herod, who was a Jewish king, but just a puppet for Rome. Herod used to go hear John teach, and he loved to hear John teach. He thought John's teaching was amazing. Until one day he walked up and heard John teaching about him. And it went bad. Herod had this really weird relationship with his niece. And he asked her to... to they were at a party, intoxicated, and Herod called his niece in to dance for him. The party's gotten weird when that's happening. And when he comes in to dance, she comes in to dance, he said to her, I'll give you whatever you want. And the claim of Herod was, Hey, whatever you want little girl whatever you want niece but Herod wasn't thinking through it because John the Baptist had offended this girl's mother and John the Baptist the girl said to him here's what I want Herod I want his head 
John the Baptist who was dedicated to Jesus, dedicated to the mission of Jesus, and he's in prison in Matthew chapter 11. Locked away. And it says in verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus, he sent word to his disciples and said this. So John sends two of his guys to Jesus. John who's been faithful, John who's been loyal, John who's been our word dedicated. Are you the one who is to come? Or should I wait for another? Jesus, I've been all in the whole time. Are you the one or is somebody else coming? Because if it's not you, let me know and I'll renounce you and I'll leave until the new guy comes. Verse 4. Jesus answered them and said, you, and you go and you tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind, they receive their sight, and the lame, they walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached about them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, Jesus knows the Old Testament. He's just quoted from Isaiah, right? Are you familiar with this text enough to agree with me there? He's quoting from Isaiah, but he's left something out. Because in Isaiah's reference to this, Isaiah says all of these things, and he says the captives will be set free. Pointed. Because he has just said to Jesus, Jesus has just said to John, I'm the one. But you're going to die in prison. The church at Smyrna, loyal and faithful and given over to Jesus being Lord, he would still say, I'm the one. But this doesn't end very well for you. I hope that the next time the girl at Cain says happy holidays to us, we realize what real persecution is. It's bigger. It's deeper. It costs believers their lives. But there's deliverance. And Jesus even uses Smyrna to talk about this deliverance. Here, here's what he says. Verse 10 again. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into the prison that you may be tested for 10 days and you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The city of Smyrna was known as the city of life like Lake Jackson is called the city of enchantment and mosquitoes. The city of life. And it was also called the crown of Asia. So Jesus takes these two terms that the Smyrnans know and he tells us he's better. They're the crown of Asia, but I'm the crown of life. They're the city of life, but I, I put this on your head and I say you belong to me. It, it's terminology that's tied to the idea of the Olympics. 
because Philadelphia and Smyrna were really known for the Olympics. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who believes in, in the victorious one who is first and last, beginning and end, he won't see the second death. The one who's put his eggs in the basket of Jesus being Lord, the first death's coming because it's coming for all of us, but you won't get the second one. All the talk of flames and separation... All the talk of never being with God for all of eternity. You won't see that because you are a conqueror because of Jesus. We learn to live in, in, the, in response to his victory. You won't see the second death. Because you wear the crown of life as someone who belongs to me. What unites us with believers around the world who are in situations and scenarios that we would never be able to fathom is that we stand victoriously because of the same God that we say that Jesus is Lord. And I pray that the mission and vision of our church will always communicate that that has to be clear at all times. That regardless of what may come our way or push against us, we would say that we believe that Jesus is Lord and when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that no one else is. That we would say that eternal life comes solely because of Jesus. That there's no hope in any other name but His. That we would wear the crown of life for all of eternity because Jesus has placed that crown upon us. That we would be people who tie ourselves to Him because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He knows every tribulation and every trial that we would ever know, every frustration that we would ever, we would ever be crossed, that we would ever cross our paths. Jesus has said, I'm Lord. So tie yourselves to me because I'm worth it. But we together as a body of believers would tie ourselves to Jesus and make sacrifices because he's worth it. That we would choose him because he's worth it. That our lives would say that he's worth it. This church at Smyrna was delivered in the same way that God promises to deliver us. So let's stand beside those who are persecuted around our world right now with a bold claim that the only hope of the world is Jesus. And let's make it in context and make it in, in conversation. But let's make, it, make sure that it's clear that we have one hope. Jesus is the one who has conquered death and has come back to life. He's the first and the last. We'll celebrate that together today as we take communion. I invite you to bow your heads even now. So over the next few moments, I want you to begin to think through what communion is. We talked about it a little bit today. And about what communion means for you. That you have placed your faith in Jesus, the King, the Conqueror, Jesus who is Lord. And as these elements are passed out, I want you just to take them and hold on to them. We're going to sing a song over you. I'm not going to sing because that wouldn't be good. But the band is going to sing over you. And I, you don't have to stand. Just take this time to hear these words.
done for us. So as these are passed, you think about your relationship with Jesus. Even maybe go back to that. Remember when you met with Jesus for the first time. And be shaped by that. Thanks so much to the fellows passing these things out. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin.